Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand insights, strategies and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about are you a spender or saver? You know, do you find it hard to stick to a budget or is it very easy to save towards a goal? I remember growing up, uh, certainly between myself and my sister, I was most definitely the spender. Uh, as soon as I received my pocket money from my parents, it would be like it was burning a hole in my pocket and I had to spend it very quickly, whereas my sister was uh, was far better at uh, delayed gratification and uh, and saved most of her monies. It's funny, my children are, are the same as well. I've got one spender and one, one saver. Uh, and uh, so I guess part of it's personality traits, but the other part is uh, sort of learned behavior and and i guess that comes with uh, dare i say at some level of maturity but um uh i think it's about uh developing a strategy and uh and setting up your finances in light of your um strengths and weaknesses right so if you're a spender and you know you're a spender and um and having ready access to a whole lot of cash in your day-to-day transaction account might seem too tempting at times then you're much better off to develop your uh, the way you structure your finances so that that temptation isn't there so I guess the first thing I'd, I'd like to say in respect to this is really just be honest with yourself about what, what your um, uh, your pros and cons are and, and strengths and weaknesses and then develop your strategy around that so if you're a spender there's a few different strategies that you can employ um, uh, now, the, but the first thing that I want to talk about is the first thing you need to know about cash flow management, as I've said many times before, is that the simple rule is really around just knowing where your money's going. So most of the new prospective clients that I meet, there's a bunch of things um, that, they, that they'll answer negatively towards. So uh, a bunch of questions that is. So uh, firstly, the question is, how much do you spend on general living expenses? A lot of people will try and bluff their way through and say, look, I think it's about $60,000 a year, but really in reality, when you dig a bit deeper, they have no idea. So not knowing um, with any level of uh, accuracy, you know, when I say level of accuracy, look, plus or minus, you know, $5,000 or so over the years, no big deal. Um, but you want to be sure that that figure is plus or minus $5,000. Uh, the other, just for interest, the other um, question, so when do you want to retire and how much money do you need? Uh, sort of from an annual basis, most people struggle to answer that question. And do you have wills? Uh, the answer is no, but most people don't have up-to-date uh, wills or powers of attorney. Um, so they're the three consistent ones when I meet new prospective clients that I, I receive negative answers to, which is all fine because that's why they're coming to see me, isn't it? Um, so the first thing is, that, like I say, it's about you can't manage what you don't measure. So if you're not measuring uh, where your cash flow is going and how much you're spending on general living expenses, and when I say general living expenses, that's really everything exclude, excluding um, large ad hoc holidays, uh, mortgage or investment costs, and uh, any particular um, school or, or children education fees like private school fees and so forth. So excluding those three items, what are your outflows for everything else, which would include clothes, food, utilities, um, bills, health, insurances and so forth. And so what I've done in the in the show notes to this uh, podcast is I've given you a link to a page from Investopoly which which describes you know the best way simple way what you should do every 6 months or so is really just download your 
um, your transaction account into Excel, sort it, and then just sort it into, um, well, I've listed seven, uh, high categories, seven categories at a high level. Um, and that will give you a sort of a broad understanding of, of what's happening to your cash flow and where it's going. Um, so once you've done that, you can then sort of work out what is your surplus cash flow. And again, if you're spending way more than what you expected, well, then it gives you a, a basis uh, for making some adjustments. Uh, but if you're a spender, what can you do about it? Well, I'd like to share probably just uh, four strategies with you. Um, and it's really around the concept of invest first and then spend what's left over, which is really Warren Buffett's. Uh, one of the quotes from Warren Buffett and his advice is instead of um, spending and then investing what's left over, do it in reverse, invest first, pay yourself first. Um, as uh, Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, do the most important thing first, which is invest. So let's get into it. Idea number one, make additional super contributions. Um, so you can contribute up to $25,000 a year into super, and that includes whatever your employers contribute on your behalf. So they're what's called concessional contributions, and um, and any contributions are only taxed at 15% if your income is less than $200,000 per annum, uh, as opposed to your marginal tax rate. So certainly there's some tax benefits associated with contributing into super, but the other benefits as well is that perhaps what you can do is just um, tell your payroll to deduct a, a, an extra $50, $100 a pay uh, from your super. Okay, sure, it'll save you a bit of tax. Um, so the impact won't be as large as $50 or $100. Um, and it's out of sight, out of mind. And maybe each pay increase, what you can do is have a commensurate increase in your super contributions. Now, I get it, particularly for younger people, super is something you're not going to be able to access till uh, 60 or even possibly later, depending if they change the rules, um, and it seems so far down the track. And what you're really doing is locking into an environment to which you don't have very much control over and the government has control over it. So, so I, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge those concerns that people have with contributing to super. But again, if you're a, a, a spender and in the absence of making those contributions, you're more likely just to spend that on general living expenses, well, then you are better off to, to make additional contributions. Um, I include a little case study in the show notes. So um, just someone that's earning $100,000 a year, if they contribute an extra 3.5% of their income, so which is really $3,500 a year, um, at the at age 30, so for 30 years until they're 60, uh, they'll have a, a third higher super balance by the time they get to retirement. So small amount, which is really about $67 a week, you're probably not going to miss uh, and will, will percentage-wise have a, a big impact. The sooner you start that because of compounding growth, the better off you will, you will be. Uh, additional super contributions as a strategy in for people, say, in their 50s, uh, is, is less effectual because you don't have that compounding capital growth. Idea number two is borrow to invest in property. Seems like a really obvious one, and it might seem like something that's um, not necessarily on trend to say, uh, but borrowing is really a, a forced savings mechanism. You know, by, by sort of putting yourself in the situation where you're making a commitment to repaying a mortgage, or at least part of that mortgage, because the rental income is probably not going to cover the, the total interest bill. By forcing yourself in that position, what you're really doing is you're, you're, you're forcing yourself to make some savings. And ultimately, if you invest in an investment-grade 
property, uh, then what you're really doing is um, is converting that regular income, that regular savings, into long-term capital growth. So it certainly won't happen every single year, but if you go and buy yourself a really good quality investment-grade property today, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, you'll have substantial equity in that property, and that's a result of really your contributions into the loan and servicing that loan for a period of time. So, you know, whilst it's probably not a trendy thing to say, borrowing to invest is a way of creating a forced savings mechanism and uh, something that I've uh, witnessed both professionally and personally. Idea number three, if you are, have already borrowed to invest um, and you've got some good quality assets and so forth, then maybe an idea, and I have um, did a podcast on this uh, just the last couple of weeks, converting your loans to principal interest repayments. So sort of forcing yourself to make some uh, principal repayments against the loan. Obviously, that's going to help you reduce your interest exposure, but also build equity in the property. And really, the the dollar value difference, I mean, it depends on interest rates and, and loan amounts, but the dollar value difference between principal interest and interest only repayments isn't that significant. And it does lock you in to putting that money away and reducing your debt exposure. The last idea, number four, is uh, using your offset account as a savings account, but actually uh, using the whole principle of out of sight, out of mind. Uh, so what you do is you delink it from your uh, internet banking site, so you can't actually see the offset account, you can't see how much money is in there. And then what you do is you tell your payroll uh, to deposit a certain amount, a dollar value amount, into that offset account uh, each pay cycle. And that way, it's going to come out of your salary before you even think about it. It's going to go into the offset account, so it's going to save you interest. And, um, you, you know, unless you use phone banking or go into a branch, you're never going to be able to see, you know, how much money is in that account. So it is kind of out of sight, out of mind. And you will naturally adjust your uh, expenditure levels in accordance with that. Plus, also, it's a great strategy to put in place now so that if you, if and when you get a pay rise, you can consider increasing the amount that's taken out uh, at salary. So you might say, oh, look, I'll, I'll uh, enjoy 30% of the pay rise in, in more income or more money to spend each month um, and then put 70% into the offset account. Uh, but another good way if you're a spender... And you're seeing, you know, you're seeing, you've got access to seeing how much you've saved. It, it might be uh, tempting to uh, to dip into it. So there you go. There's four strategies for spenders that they can put in place, and it's really about doing the most important thing first. Just because you're a spender doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be unsuccessful at building wealth or securing your financial future. It just means you you need to be realistic about your own discipline and then structure. Uh, your financial situation accordingly and of course get yourself some independent advice so that's it for this week and as always there's more information in the show notes otherwise until next week bye for now